What is up and welcome back to Zen Business, the show that studies health and mindfulness habits that ultra high performers use to reach the top of their industry and their craft. I'm your host, Jonathan Maxim, Managing Director at K&J Growth Hackers and founder of five digital companies. We've grown these companies to great levels and created an exciting and fulfilling life for our team members, but the truth is it was much more challenging than we ever could have imagined. All right, now let's jump in. All right, what is up and welcome back to Zen Business. Jonathan Maxim here reporting live and lit from Los Angeles. It is uh, a gloomy day, but no complaints there. Perfect day to get rich, as I always say. And I got to go surfing this morning, so I'm grateful for that. Nice dip in the cold ocean, followed by a hot shower and a big breakfast. Always a badass start to the day. Um, So what I'm going to talk about today is why I didn't buy my first home as a young millennial. Now, I know the the American dream has always been to buy a home and start a family and all that stuff. And so I'm gonna deconstruct the the thinking of that. And then we're going to look at alternatives um, and why that kind of old way of thinking is broken. Put simply, especially in business, but in life in general, doing what everyone else is doing has never been the way to get ahead, right? If you copy the competitors, you're always gonna lose against them, right? Because they have something unique and you're trying to emulate something that they have that you don't, right? So when you see a market being rushed into, uh, I think real estate's a perfect example of this where the prices are so inflated that people can't even buy the homes that they want, then what ends up happening is the prices go up and the investments lose their opportunity value, right? Because if you were going to make 50% back on this house by buying it for 200 grand, but now it costs 300 grand, you're going to be at net zero on that same investment based solely on the fact that things are more competitive, that there is hype around it, that there's news, interest rates are low, whatever it is that's causing this market to be overinflated. Real estate is notorious for being overinflated. I'm sure all you guys remember 2008. This feels a lot like that to me. Now, I'm not saying there's necessarily going to be a crash, which there very well could be a, a strong correction. But I think what's more likely is just that uh, people will continue getting rapes over the prices of homes. So that's why I'm not buying real estate. Um, So let me let me dig into this right now. And I'm not against real estate investing. Let me make that extremely clear. I am totally for real estate investing, but I am not for rushing into a crowd of people who are all doing the same thing and driving up prices for everybody based on some hype thinking some, you know, national propaganda talk about buying your first home and interest rates being low. And it's the same way that student loans are handed out like candy, right? Like America loves to hand out student loan debt to people, including myself, uh, but they don't know how to deal with it. Same thing with the housing crisis, right? Like they love to hand out home loans. They used to be called ninja loans, no income, no job application. People with literally no credentials were getting home loans of five to $700,000 to meet this quote unquote American dream. And it's so, so destructive. So don't get caught in that loop. All right, so let's talk about the millennial generation and why we are not buying homes. Uh, me kind of being a, a forefront player in this kind of school of thought. First of all, millennials hold 32% of all student loan debt. Um, I remember when I was in college, uh, getting student loans was as easy as making an order at a drive-thru. 
I mean, it was literally a matter of minutes and you're done. And you've all of a sudden got a check for fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000. Whereas, you know, the concept of paying that back is never explained to you during the application process. Now, because I went to grad school, I did another $40,000 worth of uh, education and it cost me 63 grand in total, right? So I walked out of college. Yeah, I had an MBA, but I also had 63 grand in ankle weights of debt that I had no idea how I was going to pay off. I mean, at the time, I couldn't even afford my payments, which were 375 per month. Now, Gen Zs hold only 7% of student loan debt and boomers hold 16%. So relatively, millennials are more than double that of boomers and about 4x, 5x that of Gen Z. So we are born into adulthood with student loan debt. So why are you going to want to take on a $300,000 mortgage when you've got $100,000 or $50,000 worth of student loan debt? We are the generation that got caught heavily in the middle of all of the you need to go to college culture, you need to buy a home culture. And so the prices of college were super inflated when I went to school. And now the prices of homes are super inflated, all because it's driven by hype, not because it's a rational, smart investment. Now, if you're going to be writing a check for $100,000 to buy a new home, I would hope that it would be a worthy investment, not just something to make your wife happy or to kind of meet this American dream or do what you're supposed to do, you know, as told by parents and friends and whoever, you know. So student loan debt is, uh, is a big ankle weight, right? Um, imagine a lot of you guys have it. I just recently paid mine down, which was a complete bitch to do. I do not recommend pulling out student loans if you can avoid it. Second thing is, is that culturally we just, you know, people like me, I don't just auto subscribe to other people's propaganda or, you know, schools of thought. I'm not just going to go and buy a home because it's seen as the American dream. I'm going to think through this myself. Uh, and I think a lot of millennials and young adults do. Uh, I think the, the millennial generation is very special in my opinion. Uh, we're the generation of creators and influencers, right? Like we are the, the child of the social media generation. We created the whole culture of personal brands. We did all of the tech startups. Gen Xers laid the foundation for it, but millennials have built out all the tech companies from Airbnb to Facebook to Snapchat. Those are all millennial founded companies. And then we also were at the forefront of crypto, right? Revolutionizing the financial, the whole financial world. So three huge sectors are driven by millennials. We are creators. We are not the type to just do what we're told. And I love that about our culture. I love that about our generation. So why would we drive grandpa's Buick or make the same investing choices that grandpa made, right? Like why would we invest in what we were told to invest in 50 years ago when people were being told to buy homes, you know, coming home from World War II and things like that? It just doesn't make sense. What I mean, investing knowledge is so time bound these days. Like something you hear this week might not be relevant next week when it comes to investing. You really need to think about, am I making a sound investment for where I am at and who I am? And I, th there's no way I would take investing knowledge from 50 years ago. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, I will look at historical trends and I think history repeats itself. And I think everyone should read up on the history books. They should read books by Warren Buffett. They should read books by Ray Dalio. But that doesn't mean to just do what you're told, right? 
So this kind of in, in individual and proprietary thinking that comes with our generation and is another reason why I have thought more critically about the idea of buying a home and starting a family on the same kind of American dream path that, that we're fed a lot. The last thing is that a lot of uh, millennials are still living with their parents, right? So we have a, a group of founders and entrepreneurs creating, you know, the big, amazing tech companies. Most of the people in my circles are doing that. But there's a whole other side of the millennial generation that is kind of living in the in the trenches still. A lot of them live with their parents because they're delaying marriage and delaying starting a family. And so they still live with their parents. So in that situation, like, we're, you're just not going to have much uh, mental plasticity. You're not going to have much uh, flexibility financially. There's a lot of reasons why, you know, you wouldn't be able to buy a home if you're living with your parents. My guess is anyone who's living with their parents can't afford to not be living with their parents. Or maybe they're saving up. But those are kind of like the, the more common reasons why, why people aren't buying homes as often these days. Now, I'm not completely against it. I have definitely thought about it. I've met with realtors, which is not an enjoyable experience in my opinion. They're like used car salesmen, if you ask me. But uh, it, it has to really fit in terms of timing, vision, strategy. And, and I think the biggest reason why I would buy a home is to create a, a roof for my family, not because it's a smart investment. It would actually be a sacrifice. I would think it would be a bad investment in lieu of doing something that favors my family and the emotional development of, of us. So let's, let's talk through some of the, the economics of this. Um, Let's just say you're looking at buying a $500,000 home, which by the way, you can't fucking buy that here in Los Angeles. Literally like this apartment that I live in is over a million dollars. You're not going to be able to buy anything. And, and by the way, it's a one bedroom. I mean, it's a loft penthouse and stuff, but it's still a million plus for a one bedroom, right? So most, most homes, like if I wanted to start a small family here, I would be looking at at least 1.5 million for a two bed, one bath that's in say Venice Beach or Marina Del Rey or something like that. But let's say you, you move out to the suburbs and you wanna buy a $500,000 home. If you wanna put 20% down on that, you're looking at $100,000 upfront. You don't have to put 20% down, but at the same time, you don't wanna have some mortgage that's gonna cost you five grand a month when your salary is six grand a month. So there's gotta be some economic trade-offs there. But I'm just gonna use this model because I think it's, it's a good one. So you wanna buy a $500,000 home, gonna cost you a uh, hundred grand up front. Now the rule of thumb when you uh, buy, get a mortgage is to not have it be more than 25% of your income or your take home. So uh, when I was a working professional before I was an entrepreneur, my take home was $4,800 a month. That's when I was making $90,000 a year as a marketing manager, and I was getting a $20,000 bonus. So my take home is 4,800. If you buy a $500,000 home, first I need to scrape together $100,000, which I don't know how you do when you're making 4,800 bucks per month, uh, plus all the other hidden fees, you know, taxes, uh, home insurance, things like that. And my mortgage would be 1891 per month. So that's assuming that I took out a $400,000 mortgage and I did a 30 year, not a 15 year home loan, 30 year. For a 15 year, I believe it was 2,900 per month for the mortgage. But let's just say 1891 is my mortgage. So now I'm taking home 4,800 per month and my mortgage is 39% of my take home. So that's almost double what the, the recommendation is, which is 25%. So all of a sudden you are wearing the golden handcuffs, right? 
you not only eat up all of your liquidity, your $100,000 that you saved up, but you still have a monthly cost associated with this home for as long as you can imagine, right? 30 years or 15 years. First reason why I would not do this particular scenario, which I think is a very common one. First, I don't want to give up 100 grand in liquidity. I'll explain what I would rather do with that money instead. Second, I don't want to be paying a mortgage that makes up 39% of my take home. Third, you are subject to market conditions and it's easy to get caught underwater in a down market. So let's just say this house was 300 grand two years ago, now it's 500 grand. If the market corrects itself and goes back to a more realistic environment of pricing, then you're gonna be looking at a house that's worth 300 grand, like it was originally worth before all the hype. So a lot of people got caught in this, uh, what's called being underwater. My dad being one of them, he bought a house for 375 grand when we were, I don't know, when I was in like high school or something. And then he sold it for something like 260 in a short sale to the bank because the market conditions were just that bad in 2008. All the corrections happened. And if that happens, you not only lose your down payment investment, you lose all of the equity that you built in that house. You lose everything if you go underwater on it. Unless you're tough and you have enough money that you can continue to, to pay that mortgage that was built in the high market, but now you're using it in a low market, right? So you're paying a high ticket price in a market when it's low. So anywhere, any other home that you bought in a low market would be you know, half the ticket value for your mortgage. So you're paying a high premium. So most people can't do that, which is why they go underwater. You know, if, even if it's a, a rental property, the, the renters will move out because they can't afford the rent uh, in these conditions or they can go find it cheaper in, a, in another neighborhood or whatever. So that's one example of somebody going underwater. Same type of thing happened to uh, somebody that I know in Chicago. He bought a two bed, two bath condo in an area that was supposed to be up and coming. Um, a few years later, it had lost about 20% of its value and he couldn't afford to keep the house because he, he couldn't keep renters in it. And then he ended up selling it for like a $40,000 loss. And in those two situations, I would have said, I'll stick through, I'll bear through the market, I'll move into the house, do what I have to do. But not everybody has that same flexibility as me. Not everybody has the same independence work-wise. Not everyone has the same kind of financial portfolio that allows me to eat costs for months or even years um, should I have to move into that house or should I have to uh, float it while I'm looking for renters. All of this kind of calls together in my mind as you eat up all your liquidity, aka you start wearing the golden handcuffs. Second, you still imposed uh, your mortgage costs so not only do you eat up your whole savings, but your mortgage is a good chunk of your income. And so you just don't have any room to move, right? Your, your investment is not liquid. Uh, yeah, you could probably sell it, but then you got to buy another house in the same high market. You're probably not going to make much money on it unless you were to, you know, have another investment property or something like that that you can move into or, you know, move in with your parents or start renting again. So because the market's high right now, even though you'll get, you know, a 30% premium on your sale price, any house that you buy, you're going to pay that same amount. So your liquidity is, is locked up in this house. And that's what I really don't like about buying a home as a first home, you know, say in your early 20s or your, you know, your late 20s or whatever. So I still haven't bought a, a quote unquote home. Now, again, I would still do it, but I'll explain the conditions under which I would. The whole thinking is that the opportunity cost of, of buying a home is too high. You cannot invest that money elsewhere. The money is not liquid and you are subject to market conditions which are out of your control. 
and you're probably paying a high ticket price because real estate is always overinflated. It's always been the market that all of the, the chumps in middle America think that they can win in. So it's just a very crowded space. So inherently you, you stretch yourself financially and you burn up valuable liquidity. There are a lot of other investments that are more liquid, like ETFs, crypto, all kinds of other investments. Now, those should be part of a mix. Uh, if you listen to the other episode, how to design a badass financial portfolio, I'll explain how to do that portfolio design. I'm also have been asked to get uh, my portfolio design spreadsheet and make that available to you guys so that you can look at the percentages of the different asset classes that I invest in and why. So you can have like a, a weighted scale for these different investments. So I'll, I'll include that in another episode soon here. But for now, I want to jump into next why I refuse to buy a home and do the uh, American dream. So here's why I refuse to buy a home and do the quote unquote American dream. First reason is you can't be very diversified if your liquidity is locked up at the house, right? So if you put all 100 grand that you saved up into the home, now you have all of your portfolio dependent on that one investment. My personal portfolio, I think I have like, I don't know, 10, 12 different asset classes and investments you know, like three startups, uh, there's crypto, there's of course ETFs and stocks, and there's my 401k, my IRA, that type of stuff. And then there's other more alternative investments like the Amazon store and the Walmart store that I own. That 100K could go 20K to crypto, could go 20K to stocks, 20K to something like gold, uh, you know, 20K into an Amazon store. In that particular situation, no matter where the market goes, if if housing goes down, but startups go up, or if gold increases, but crypto decreases, you're going to be protected in all those circumstances. That's why, especially as younger people, you got to have diversification because you're less experienced, you're less expert. So you need a lot more hedging. You need a lot more protection against down markets, right? Because when one market is down, another one is generally up. So that's why I don't want all my liquidity locked up in a house. I was looking at buying a house in Manhattan Beach and I needed to put 220 grand down. Now I had the money to do it, but did I want to have 220 grand of my liquidity gone? Well, first of all, I would have to clean out my ETF portfolio. So my like Vanguard and my Acorns funds, I would have to clean out some of my crypto. I would have to take my savings and my cash. <laughs> and so I'd be left basically broke after. And now I can see why young families feel broke after they get married because they buy a home and then they pay for the, the wedding and stuff. All of a sudden, yeah, you might have equity and value in the house, but you're living like a poor person. You've spent all your liquidity. So that uh, leads me to point number two, which the reasons that I don't think buying a home is the smartest first investment for people like us. You're burning a valuable liquidity, right? Uh, and when the down market hits, like let's say 2008, how much would you pay to have been in that market and had few hundred thousand dollars to spend. It's a lot better. $200,000 in 2008 will go a lot further than $200,000 in 2021. You could buy, I mean, shit, you, could, you can't even get a hole in the wall at this point for $200,000, at least in LA. If you were in 2008 with $200,000, you could have bought a big single family home. How do I know that? Well, my dad was forced to short sell his at the time. So he sold it at a what, 40, 50% discount. So that is another reason why I am 
not for the American dream of, of buying a home. You burn up too much liquidity. And at our age, you know, let's say 20 to 30 years old, you don't have that much liquidity. Now that I'm, you know, I'm going on 34, I'm 33 right now, I'm starting to build more liquidity and I can have multiple investments. But for most people, buying their first home is their main investment, as we discussed. You burn up your, your big savings on it, you and your wife or your girlfriend or whatever. That uh, leads me to point number three, which is now you're wearing the golden handcuffs, right? So the 100 grand that you saved up is gone. Uh, you have, let's say, 10,000 bucks left in the bank after all of that, and your mortgage is 40% of your take home. You're living on $3,000 a month at that point, right? 2,000 is going toward your mortgage, got 2,800 to live on. That means you're driving a modest car, you're not going out to a lot of dinners, God forbid you wanna have a kid or something like that. You're gonna be wearing the golden handcuffs, and I refuse to wear the golden handcuffs. I was just thinking this morning how nice it is to have all the flexibility that I have in my life. I can go surfing in the morning, I can show up to work when I please, and I'm not gonna have to worry about losing my job or not gonna have to worry about you know going underwater financially. I have the opposite of the golden handcuffs, right? I have a lot of liquidity. I have a lot of capital to invest if markets go down. I am not committed to some house on a 30-year basis. I have full flexibility. I rent, which I pay a premium for, but I'm happy with it because I want that flexibility. If the markets do take a downturn, I want to be able to move to an apartment that's two grand a month instead of four grand a month. If my house mortgage is four grand a month, I can't just pick up and move to a place that's two grand a month, but I can do that right now. And that's why I'm not wearing golden handcuffs because I, one, I'm, I'm not in debt at all. Uh, I got rid of all my debt and a house still counts as debt if you <laughs> take out a loan on it. That is exactly precisely why you cannot just move when you please because you are tethered to that home that you owe $400,000 on. And God forbid, in a down market, now the house is worth four hundred dollars instead of $500,000. You can't, you can't do anything. All you can do is just hustle and earn just to stay above water. God forbid you have a family that you have to support. So those are the three main reasons that I refuse to buy a home as the American dream prescribes it. Can't diversify much, you burn up valuable liquidity and end up wearing the golden handcuffs. So this is where I say I would rather invest that into a business that provides a lot more upside potential. My businesses, you know, K&J, for every $1 we spend, we make two to $4 back on it per month. So when we invest $5,000 in ads, we typically make around $20,000 a month in return on that. So that's why you can see economically the, the scales are favored so much toward business owners because the multiples are much better, right? You might, it might take you a decade to double the value of a home, whereas I can double the value of my money in a month with my business. And a business has a lot more flexibility, a lot more mobility. Now, it's obviously a ton more work than having a house. Well. I don't know, arguably, I haven't owned a house, so I can't say. But there's a lot of other alternative investments that when you look at all the risk factors, you look at the returns, they are a better fit for your age and stage. Again, there's things like ETFs and crypto and all kinds of other investment classes. And just like the Amazon and Walmart reseller stores, you can buy an already running business for 20, 30 grand and have this asset that's making you a few thousand to $10,000 per month within six months. You can have that up and going and that same liquidity you would have used to buy a house, it costs a third of that to buy an Amazon store. So it's like, why would you go and put a hundred grand into a house that is definitely not gonna pay you 10 grand a month, it's gonna cost you five grand a month or four grand a month. 
depending how big you go. Now, let me, uh, let me add some caveats in here. This is when it's, I think it's okay to buy a home as a millennial. You know, somebody between 25 and 35 years old who's got somewhere between like 20 and 100K saved up or, or maybe more, I don't know. Here is when I would buy a home and I am actually looking at buying property. I'm looking at buying property in Tulum, Mexico and I'm looking at buying property in Columbus, Ohio. So when it's okay to buy a home, first, when it's in a cheap area, maybe it's a distressed property, and has the potential to two or three X after a remodel, AKA flipping the home, AKA not in LA, New York, or Miami. You're not gonna find a, a property that's gonna be able to two or three X in value. Where my dad lives in Columbus, he bought a home for $35,000. It's in a gentrifying area. It's pretty much still the hood though. He paid 35 grand for the house, invested 20K in remodeling it. And uh, he got an offer while he was visiting me a couple of weeks ago for $134,000. So he put 55 grand in and it's looking at 135K out. Now you can't even buy a home in LA with 55 grand down. My dad bought the whole house and remodeled it for that price. So the, the economies, the scale are just much more favorable in an up and coming area than an area that's very saturated like Los Angeles, New York, or Miami. And when I was doing research for this podcast, another reason that millennials aren't buying homes is because they're all flocking to big cities, Chicago, LA, DC, New York, Miami, et cetera. So they can't even actually buy in the, in the areas that they're living. It just economically doesn't make sense. So, you know, if you want to buy a home in Nebraska, which a bunch of my buddies have done or buy a home in Ohio, uh, I think, I think it's a great investment. Um, but again, it's not somewhere you're going to live. It's not the American dream anymore. Second case when it's okay to buy a home uh, is when it's an Airbnb or a, a short-term rental location, right? So I'm looking at some property in Hawaii where I would pay about $400,000 to buy a two-bed, two-bath on the beach in Waikiki. And that would generate about four to six grand a month in rental income. It would easily cover its mortgage of, let's just say, around $2,000 a month. And it would just continue to build equity. I'll have a manager running it and the manager would take her cut of the rental. But really it's more like a break-even investment in my mind. Even if I'm making five grand a month on it, I'm paying two grand on the mortgage, the whatever 2000 bucks left over is really not gonna move the needle for me. It's more about deferring that investment longer and longer, maybe making a little bit of money on it. But the main thing is building equity in it and then flipping it later. And you know, with Airbnbs, you can generally make a good return. There's one in San Diego, my buddy's running and his makes about five to 10K a month and his mortgage is $2,400. So he, he can make anywhere from three to $7,000 in profit per month off of his Airbnb. Third case, and I'm definitely not a big proponent for this, but I wanna at least explain this caveat is when you plan to live in it for five plus years. Why do I say five plus years? Well, if you're gonna buy a property, uh, buy a home, then you want to stay in it long enough, one, that it can gain some substantial value. Hopefully you're buying a, in an up and coming area that's gentrifying and the value is gonna you know, grow up like 30, 40, 50%. But it takes a little while for that to happen. So five years is a good benchmark because you will get through shit market conditions if so, right? So let's just say the market declines for a year or two, you will stay in it long enough to make it out of that and still make some returns on your money. Here's the issue with that. Who wants to live in the house that you could afford five years ago? You want to live in the house that you could afford today, right? So you're living in a, in a shithole little house that was affordable when you're 25 and now you're 30 years old and you got a kid on the way and you got a wife and she's got more expensive taste than the little, you know, rinky dink place that you could afford when you were 25. 
So it, it can work for a certain age and stage, again, maybe like a 23, 24 year old, but how many people can really buy at that age? So it's, it's a tough one. So if I am gonna buy a home for my family to live in, it has to be something in the multi-millions because it's gotta be suitable for one, the family that I'm gonna build, and two, be a house that I like and enjoy five years from now. So it's gotta be a stretch, which is, goes back to the same issue. I don't wanna make it a stretch. I don't wanna be wearing the golden handcuffs. So I, I hope this is starting to make a little bit of sense. I know it sounds pretty harsh, but like this is one of the things I've learned the most about business, right? It's better to be shrewd than optimistic when it comes to the outcomes. Yeah, you should be optimistic and positive and hardworking and expect the best outcome, but you should be planning for the worst outcome, right? So I try to look at things like when we're doing our weekly management meetings, if something is looking close to on target, like if a goal we're reaching for is close to on target, but it's, it's a little blurry, we always say it's off target. And then we take it to our problem solving stage and we go and we diagnose it as if the goal is gonna be missed, even if we're close to hitting it, because we wanna take a shrewd and careful approach to these things. I've learned my lesson about being hopeful and following the American dream and being propagated all this storytelling of, you know, you gotta buy a home and start a family and get married and all that stuff. So that I think is a blessing that, that you have as an independent thinker with access to the internet and any kind of research that you would wanna do is uh, be shrewd about your own investments. And uh, so to close this off, I wanna explain to you what I did with that money instead of buying the home. Let's just say I had, I think it was like two, three years ago, I was looking at buying a home. So I had 85 grand that I wanted to put to work. So what did I do with that 85 grand? Well, I could have bought a home, let's just say that's 20% down, so five times eight is four. I could have bought a $400,000 house with it. In Los Angeles, that obviously wouldn't have gotten me very far. I would probably be living in Inglewood in a one bed somewhere in the hood. And yeah, the house probably would have increased in value, but it would have been a, a miserable living experience because I would be, you know, in an area that's far from the city centers and it's a dangerous area, probably more risk around, you know, home repairs and neighborhood issues. And I'm pretty glad that I didn't do that, to be honest. Here's what I did with that money instead. I invested 25 grand into crypto. I put it with my buddy Felix, who is a hedge fund manager, and that crypto is worth $100,000 now. So that forexed in value. I would be really surprised if my house forexed in value in the same time frame. So it forexed my money. Second thing I did was uh, invest 60 grand into Acorns, uh, which is a Vanguard ETF. It's just an app that rounds up your, uh, your purchases on your credit card, and that's worth $73,000. So my 85,000 is now worth 173K for those two investments that I made. Am I happy with that? Well, yeah, I doubled my money. Do I think I would have doubled it uh, by buying a property? I don't think so. Also, I wouldn't have been able to live in a three-story penthouse apartment like I am right now. I would have been in some little dumpy place in Inglewood, a one-bed, one-bath type of situation if I had bought a house with that. I think buying real estate is a worthwhile investment for certain people, but I think you need to have this understanding before you go into it. You need to understand how risky it really is to be paying the premium prices that people are paying right now. And it's all influenced by the government and interest rates. So it's another factor that's out of your hands. The market is booming because the government has low interest rates and wants people to buy homes, but they don't want to make smart investors out of us, right? They're, they're just trying to keep the economy above water. That's all they're doing by having cheap loans out there. 
So think for yourself, feel free to reach out to me uh, on Instagram at itsjmaxim, I-T-S-J-Maxim. If you have more questions about this, if you're considering buying a home, make a little financial model of it. Map out what kind of returns you could get from it. I'm sure in some cases you can get great returns from it. Uh, But for now, I recommend more liquid investments that are more independently researched and not so affected by government and public and market conditions, uh, giving you a bit more control of the outcomes. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure to tweet it out or share it out and DM it. If you did, I do these episodes for free. All I ask in return is that if uh, you're getting value out of it, that you offer some value in return by sharing it out and helping uh, spread this financial literacy, this spiritual uh, enhancement, and this uh, this entrepreneurial energy um, that keeps us all going forward and, and becoming better humans and contributing more to the world that we all live in together. All right, I'll see you on the next episode. Ciao for now. Mm-hmm.